0: All right, welcome back to another episode. Do we have a treat for
1: you all, right, Sam? That's right. We In this episode, we talked to Chris Leva. He's a playwright who went to Iowa and he's based in Columbus. Mm-hmm. And I don't know about you, but I thought this was a really good conversation.
0: Yeah, a conversation about uh, writing for young audiences. You know, we think about all the different kinds of audience we could write for, vote. But- it's the one audience that no one really talks about. It's the mm-hmm. the children and the...
1: And the theater makers of tomorrow. hmm <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, if you think about it as writing for young audiences is kind of growing new theater lovers, then that's a really important job.
0: You know, I was... I remember during that conversation, uh, it made me think of the, my first play I ever saw as a... A student which was charlotte's web and it was like a high school production and i remember crying my eyes out even the story and then it made me made me want to read the book
1: oh because you didn't know
0: what was going to happen i I had no idea that that was going to happen it's so sad sad. and um and he was so right about how they're a lot smarter than you think you know we like they start asking those bigger questions like early on and yeah um
1: yeah, you're going to like this one, listeners.
0: Yeah, you're going to so. like this one a lot. Oh, and I guess to give a little context about how <laughs> we – Oh, know, yeah. You want to share the with the audience? Oh, sure. All so, right.
1: listeners? Mm-hmm. So Chris um, emailed us to – this was a while ago, like after our first couple episodes, to email mm-hmm. us to say he had listened to our podcast and he was really enjoying it. And he said, I have an idea for an episode you should talk about TYA theater for young audiences. And we, Sarah and I kind of went back and forth and we're like, this is such a good idea. You know, we don't know that much about it. And so then we decided to just ask him to come on the show and talk about it since that's what he writes. Um, There's some of what he writes. Um, So yeah. So listeners, if you have an idea for an episode and you send it to us, we might just invite you to be on the show. Yeah. Yeah. We love bringing on uh, you guys that's right
0: to <laughs> talk <laughs> and, we'll, and we'll we're pick, always we'll, looking for pitches so we're always looking for pitches and we want to pick your brain on how you think about theater and writing and what's what's your thing with yeah. the theater world exactly All right. so enjoy
1: Welcome to another episode of Beckett's Babies. We're your hosts Sam Collier and Sarah Cho.
0: And today we have a wonderful guest on our show. His name is Chris Leva. Chris Leva is a Columbus-based playwright and director. He's a frequent collaborator with Catco, his uh, kids, and teaches te- theater at Worthing Way Middle School on top of his day job. He co-hosts Writers Get Animated, a podcast, about, a podcast about storytelling and animation with fellow writer Mackenzie Worrell. His short play, Dinosaur Discovery, a talk by Dr. Kramer, has just opened as part of Mad Love Theater's Theater Roulette Festival, and a festival runs until uh, May 25th. So welcome, Chris, to our show. Great.
2: Thank you very much. It's good to be here.
1: Chris, like many of us, uh, is an Iowa grad. You went to the University of Iowa.
2: I did. Um, I, I graduated in 2006. So, so cool. long time ago.
1: So, we were wondering um, if mm-hmm. you could just map out your life since grad school, <laughs> since you're yeah, like a little bit ahead of us in terms of, I don't know, hopefully maybe figuring things out.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, your life after grad school. Wow. I, that's honestly, that's honestly, I'm always like wanting to know from all of our. Everyone who graduated, like, what have you been doing? Like, I don't know if this, yeah. That's not a mystery, but it's like, I just wanna know.
2: <laughs> it is, it is really mysterious because I don't think we ever really talked about it um mm-hmm. in grad school. They don't prepare you for yeah what happens next.
1: <laughs> that they, is so true.
2: <laughs> it's like you feel really confident about being a writer. Hopefully by the end of those three years, you you're like, I think I. I kind of understand my trajectory as a writer. And then you leave and you recognize, I don't know anything else. You know, I don't know where I am anywhere mm-hmm. else. So I need to figure out, um, I need to figure out my life. I need to figure out money. what I want to do and money. Oh yeah, that that was rough. Um, <laughs> when, after I graduated, the nice thing was a decision was made by my wife so she wanted to go to graduate school. So I followed her um, and she decided to go to the the Ohio State University oh. um, to study dance. And I said, what I think a lot of people say is, I can be a writer from anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, I can write plays. It doesn't matter. There's always a theater somewhere. And so I just followed her and I was out of work for six months because... I, I just couldn't get jobs. I could get interviews, but I couldn't get jobs, and it was a little rough. And I was just trying to find the right day job that would still allow me time to write. Mm-hmm. And I just kept writing. My goal was to write a play a year, and you know, one full length every year, and send it out. And you know, come March and April, get all the rejections from sending that yeah. play out. <laughs> <laughs> so it was, a, it was an interesting cycle. And then there was a certain point in 2010, and I made this decision where I gave myself an ultimatum because nothing was really working. I felt like I was getting finalist and semi finalist, and nothing was ever really going on to the next level. And so I said, well, I think I'm going to give up. Um, I think I'm done trying to be a playwright. And I gave myself this ultimatum. I said, I'm going to apply to three things here in Columbus. And if I can't get any of those, um, I'm going to give up writing for a while. And um, I tried for three things, and I got two of them. And so I said, I guess I'm still a playwright.
1: It's amazing how often I hear a story like that, where somebody is like, like another common one is um, somebody drops out of a PhD program or drops Mm. out of law school and they're like, I'm just going to write for a year. And if I can't make it, then I'll go back to law school. You know, I think it's like that, that kind of ultimatum, I think is really common.
2: Yeah, I think it was, it was also trying to center myself in terms of why am I doing this? You know, I think- Mm -hmm it's very easy out of getting out of grad school to fall into a cycle of what I was doing in grad school. You know, Mm -hmm. I was writing all the time in grad school. I think in grad school, I was writing two full lengths a year. So I was really hitting it hard. Um, And then to be hit hard by the world outside of grad school, Mm -hmm. you can't keep up the same rhythm and the same cycle. So you have to figure out how to adapt. And, um, one thing that Sherry Kramer in grad school, she told me that I was really good at adaptation. Um, oh. so I need to learn how to adapt. And once I relearn some of the lessons that you forgot that were so instrumental, um, I think giving myself that ultimatum and, uh, ultimatum and having this sense of panic really helped me refocus what was important. Um, and then just focusing things in a different way. It just just helped.
1: How do you adapt a play? What, what do you have to, like, what did you have to learn how to do or get better at doing in order to do a good adaptation?
2: Well, adaptation, um, when I, when I learned that it was kind of my thing, um, I, we did this uh, assignment centered around Carol Churchill's far away. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which I think is the play that I keep going back to to relearn what's possible as a playwright. You know, I'm going to go back because there's something in Far Away um, that just speaks to me as to what I think about a play can be. And um, this Sherry Kramer gave us this assignment to write a one page version of Far Away. Ooh. Which is a really cool assignment um, and when we when we did it I came we came back the next day and everyone started reading theirs, you know we were sharing them, and everyone had really taken the plot and the characters of uh, far away and made it one page long
0: mm-hmm.
2: and I started panicking because I said i I've done this assignment wrong i've I've done this wrong because what I did was I took the world of far away and made sure that all the main themes of far away were in it, but oh. I used completely different characters in a play that was a beginning, middle and end that lasted one page in the world of far away.
1: Oh, cool.
2: And so I was like, I, I did this wrong. <laughs> I, did this <laughs> com- I did this completely wrong. Um, so when it, I think I went last or second to last because I didn't want to raise my hand and be proven right at how wrong I did this Because you're sitting
1: there feeling embarrassed and... <laughs> like, oh, wait.
2: oh yeah.
1: Yeah. Every,
2: oh. I, every every person was reading theirs and I'm like, oh my God, I just, I totally missed the boat on this assignment and everyone's going to know that I'm a fraud here. Oh, I
1: can so
0: relate to that. <laughs> oh, me too. I know. Oh, <laughs> so relatable. Uh,
2: and, and so I was just, I was like, and, and then I said it, they're like, okay, Chris, it's your turn. And I was like, I think I did this wrong, is what how I started. <laughs> and she's like, no, oh, no, go ahead and read it. And then there was this long silence after mine. And then everyone was like, everything's there. Like, wow. you got it. Like, everything from the play is there. You, you got it. And um, I felt really relieved. And then I think something like 10 o'clock at night, my um, home phone starts ringing. And I'm really confused because nobody called me ever. Um, <laughs> And it's Sherry Kramer. And oh my Sherry, gosh. she says, so cool. I know what you need to do with your life. And I was like, what? What do I do? Tell me. <laughs> and she said, you need to do adaptations because wow. you figured out how to get the entire world into it. You kept the world, but did something completely different. And so I just took that to heart. And when I'm looking at at plays, I have a much easier time seeing how to adapt something. So doing things from real life or doing things from something that already exists. I can see the adaptation that I would love to do, Mm -hmm. but creating a story from nothing usually is a lot harder for me um, because I don't have that jumping off point. Mm -hmm. And I'm a much better rewriter than I am a writer. So when I go to revise my plays, it's almost like I'm doing um, an adaptation of a play that exists.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Mm. Revision as adaptation.
2: Because mm-hmm. who who even knows if everything that's there is important? Right. You know, I can see what's actually there and say, you know what, I can cut two thirds of this, and I know what the rest of this should be. So that I guess that was a long answer to say how I approach adaptation. I just look for um what's essential, um whether it's a character, a line, a moment and then just say you know, this is this is what I see and then find my own way in.
1: What an
0: important call to get.
1: <laughs> like, oh my gosh, I know. <laughs> I was like Jerry oh, Kramer calling gosh, you up and saying, "I know what you need to do with your life." <laughs> uh... I know
2: I was I was very lucky to get that phone call um, because, like I said, it's it's something that I just remember um, vividly where I was. You know, a lot of grad school I can't I can't quite keep in my mind, but I remember mm-hmm. that phone call and I remember Sherry's words to me and just that feeling of like great somebody understands what I should do and it's like she was looking at at some core beliefs and i've, I've mm-hmm. just held on to that through through everything
0: um so taking this idea of adaptations now to give context to our listeners chris reached out to us um to ask about uh writing for uh children's theater or ya young adults and now and we were like oh Chris, why don't you go first? No, we'll talk about it. Because <laughs> so, it was so
1: cool to get that email.
0: Yeah, it was very cool. Um, so you sent us that email and now talking about adaptations. And can you talk a little bit about your experience in writing plays for children?
2: Yeah. yeah it's, what
0: drew you to that? Mm-hmm.
2: It's something that that I didn't expect to do. Mm-hmm. Um Because I spent so much time in grad school trying to be more serious of a writer, if that makes sense. It's like, oh, I guess my plays aren't serious enough. You know, I need to put more important things in here. Um, And then I had that ultimatum moment that we talked about before, you know, and one of those things that I got was a fellowship um, at this theater in town called Catco. And they also have a, a children's... Theater, or they call it um, theater for young audiences and families. Mm-hmm. So, a very specific mission around there, um, and they call that wing um, is Kids. Mm-hmm. And um, the the wife of my director, uh, my director Joe Bashara, his wife Liz. I guess she was his fiance at the time, but anyway, um, <laughs> she she asked me, "Do you have any plays for um, middle schoolers?" because she teaches at the Columbus School for Girls, um, teaches middle school theater there. And it's really hard to find plays for all females um, or even females with strong characters with 10 characters and um, something that's appropriate for for that age range. And I said, I didn't, I, I had plays I did have a play with 13 year olds in it, but it also had a priest and it was a lot, not something that you would probably want your school to do. Um, <laughs> and so so she asked me, hey, would you be willing to write something? And I went back to a play that had been bothering me since I was in middle school. Um, I had always wanted to write something about the Persephone myth.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, and so I said, okay, I'll give you something. And I decided to write the story of Persephone and I said, well, how can I make this story, um, for 10 to 15, um, girls and also make it age appropriate and I just thought about it for a long, long time. And I one thing that I think we tend to forget as playwrights is, and just writers in general, is that the thinking is working. Yeah, and, right,
1: because it always feels like just spinning your wheels.
2: Right, and you always think like, if I don't have pages or words or paragraphs to show for it, then I haven't really done anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and being in a day job, um, I didn't have time to write, um, so I'd have to do ten minutes of thinking on a break or thirty minutes on my lunch break, mm. and then come home and try to find more time there. Um, and this by that time, you know, I had um, I didn't have a, a child yet, which was good, um, but it <laughs> it because that just adds more. Um, interesting things to the mix, you know, (laughs)
0: it's
2: it's fine. If you ignore your wife for an evening, it's, it's bad if you ignore your wife and your child. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I I started thinking through this and I decided to go a way that I wasn't expecting, which was to add more myths to it. So I made Persephone and Eurydice best friends and linked those two myths together.
1: And came
2: up with something. Um, And I I decided that I wouldn't wouldn't censor myself thematically. I would still say the things that I wanted to say thematically, but I would see, you know, cut out the swear words, make things a little bit different. But I tried not to change the core questions that I was asking as a playwright.
1: In other words, you didn't simplify the the story to be like I mean I don't I, I think that there's a lot of dumbing down that happens in in they're, when they're, people set out to write for children.
2: Absolutely. People think of it as, well I need to talk down to the kids. They don't they don't say that, well let me talk down to you right. children. But they I think they do have this moment of okay, I'm writing for a five year old, but they don't think about how they were as a five year old.
1: Right. Right. Um yeah.
2: and so what I didn't one of the things that um, it that was my first try at writing for younger people, and I think I did pretty well. Um, the The second night was a bigger audience than the first night, so there was a lot of word of mouth about young kids wanting to take their families to go see it, and I was really cool. excited that that happened. Um, like that was the biggest audiences I'd ever had at one of my plays. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, like people are laughing. They were going crazy. They were really excited for it. Mm -hmm. And kids and young people in an audience are a much better tell about how good your work is and how it's relating to the audience than I think some adults.
1: Yeah. Mm.
2: Um, Because you can tell if it's not working because kids will say out loud, what's happening? Or, like,
1: <laughs> or this is boring. Right. Yeah, like, can we go they,
2: home? You know, the, Yeah. they will, they will let you know if they're not enjoying themselves and.
1: And they I, won't laugh just to be nice. Oh, <laughs> no. they won't. They,
2: <laughs> they won't. If they will let you, you can yeah. tell yeah. their silence, they're worming around um, their boredom. It's palpable and real. And So in one way, they're harsher, but they're also really generous. Like they will laugh at your dumb things. So Mm -hmm. I wrote these jokes and I knew they were terrible, but um, I wrote these jokes for the there were these wood nymphs in Persephone who witnessed Persephone being kidnapped. And somebody like tries to get them. Oh, no, no. If I can remember what happens in my play. Um, (laughs) Persephone tries to run away from her mom. She's like, hey, my mom is overbearing. Um, Could you wood nymphs pretend and tell my mom that I never left? And she, because they're made out of plants, she offers them like manure as like, you know, (laughs) here's some delicious goat manure. Here's like, (laughs) and so it's this, this, this scene where they're eating these lovely platters of manure, and like, oh my gosh, Persephone really came through for us. And so it's like two minutes of these people eating chocolate, but it looks like you know manure, and <laughs> the audience just eating it up.
1: That yeah.
2: <laughs> so, but you can you can do things like that if it's I don't say pander to them, um, but you don't have to. Dumb down your questions. In fact, if you're asking bigger questions, the kids get more engaged and interested in it. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing that really changed for me is when my son was born in 2012, um, when he got old enough, we started taking him to theater. And, you know, we took him to children's theater and Catco's kids' shows. And one of the first shows that he saw, I don't know if you guys knew this, but David Mamet has a children's play out really? there.
0: Really? Really? Does.
2: It's um, it's called Attack of the Space Pandas.
1: What? <laughs>
2: so look that up, <laughs> listeners. I will. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I had to work um that day. I think, you know, it was like an iPhone launch. I worked at an Apple store at the time. So I think I had to go and sell iPhones to people. And um so, my wife took my son to see it. so his first play was a David Mamet play, which oh my I have
1: gosh, that's I have
2: like interesting feelings about that <laughs> um, very complicated feelings and he um, he was it was a huge experience. There were lots of lights because it's outer space stuff, and lots of lights and big sounds. and he got overwhelmed mm. and um he got to watch it from the booth because my friend. Joe was the director and he's like, here, you know, Rochelle and Jack, why don't you guys come in here and watch the show from here so he could still see it, but not be assaulted by, you know, all these lights and sound and everything from
0: this David
2: Mamet play. Yeah. So my friend Joe said, could you write a play? He's like, I know you did the middle school thing. Could you write a play for Jack? You know, kids who are three and four. Mm -hmm. Um, Could you do something for them? So it was just another challenge of could you write something that's like 50 minutes long um, that Jack would enjoy? And making a list of, okay, let's put some limitations on this. I can't have crazy loud sounds. I can't have crazy light stuff. Um, Jack enjoys dancing. He enjoys animals and the zoo. Um, Ah. He enjoys... If if that starts I, think I know to, where
1: this is going.
2: <laughs> like, okay, so he likes, you know, singing and and other stuff. And so it's like, okay, what can I do to make a play um about all of this stuff that would be okay for Jack? And that's how I came up with my original show, um Cowgirls Don't Ride Zebras.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, which you sent to us. Which, which I, I did. thoroughly enjoyed. Yes, <laughs> Thank me you. too.
2: Yeah, it was, it's nice to give yourself limits when you're writing and because I think you get to do interesting things when you take away certain limbs, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, I can't do this. I can't do that. What's a more interesting way of making something happen? And he got to go to rehearsals, which was cool for him. Um, He got to sit in and ask questions. He saw the actors in costumes for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, so he had this huge, great experience through it, and um, the kids in the audience they didn't. What was really cool is, um, nobody knew what this play was about, right? It because it, it's just cowgirls don't ride zebras, so the only thing you understand <laughs> are cowgirls are in there possibly and zebras. Mm-hmm. And we had the first night, we had um. Some kids in cosplay as cowgirls.
1: No way. That's so I, was, cool.
2: I was like, oh, they don't even know what this is and there are yeah. people you know doing cosplay. This is awesome.
1: I think it's so cool that you set out to write a play for your son and you chose a girl as the protagonist. And I was thinking when I was reading it, how um, you know the vast majority of books written for children center on boys. Um, as protagonists and and you chose a girl, Penny, right? Is her name? That's and right. I just think mm-hmm. that's really cool. Was that a conscious decision on your part?
2: It was. Um, actually, you know, following things on Twitter, I follow a lot of writers on Twitter and you know they're talking about there aren't enough roles for for women, just mm-hmm. in general, not just <laughs> plays for young audiences, but mm-hmm. plays. Um, with good, strong women characters, and I made a decision around my ultimatum uh, quit time was that every play that I write, until things even out, which may never happen,
1: <laughs> when you're um, like eight hundred years old,
2: <laughs> exactly, I'm gonna I'm gonna start with my personal default being a woman as the main character.
1: That's so cool. Yeah.
2: So I I made that. That's a personal promise that I made to myself.
1: It's just great because I think a lot of times um, publishers and maybe also TYA producers think that boys are not going to be able to connect with girl characters. Um, But they assume that girls will easily connect with boy characters. Um,
2: (laughs) Right. Which is strange. (laughs)
1: yeah. Yeah. So strange. Yeah. So, well, that's cool.
2: I mean, the, the other thing that helped me out a lot in writing the play, not just focusing in on one specific kid, which always helps. I think no matter what you're doing, if you can imagine one specific audience member,
0: mm-hmm.
2: whether it's yourself or a specific friend, if you can write for that one person, usually then it ends up being so specific that it it can be universal in yeah. a weird – There's that. there's that weird – irony you know i wrote it just for jack but everybody loved it
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um my uncle drove in from washington dc and he's like my cheeks hurt you know from laughing and smiling (laughs) He's like it hurts so much but it was um the other thing that helped me write was you know when you have a kid you're watching a lot of um, tv for kids and so you're watching some really awful stuff which i think panders down, you know, talks down to kids and you're watching some really, really awesome stuff like Doc McStuffins. And, um, I started this random, I don't know how it happened. Um, but I started, um, tweeting at, um, Chris Nee who created Doc McStuffins and she started following me on Twitter. And so I just studied her and what she had said and read interviews from her about you know, don't talk down to kids, have mm-hmm. those serious mm-hmm. conversations, just write it like you would for any audience and it's going to be strong enough. And I think to, looking at the stuff that's made for specifically for kids forgets that kids are smarter than, than we realize.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they encounter real difficulties, you know, that it's not like, I, I think We tend to think as adults that the problems children have are really simple, (laughs) but, but when you're a kid, you know, those problems are, feel really serious. Yeah. So.
2: They really do. And I think the more that we can, I mean, realize, I mean, my son starts asking huge questions about, you know, death and the world exploding and Mm -hmm. the sun blowing up and, What's going to happen, and you know, and he has realizations of bad things happening. And I think the more that we allow for those questions to be answered, and not just in a silly, magic way, but if you can, if we can find a serious, hopeful way, I think that's the difference. Is don't pander and give them an easy answer. Give them a hopeful way of looking at things. Um, and another way of of going in the theater for young audiences. There's, you know, the, the professional theaters that are out there doing things. And then there are theaters um, specifically like Climb Theater in Minnesota, who does things specifically for s- schools and, and kids in cool. schools to try to teach them. Um, and there's Anton Jones, who's an Iowa alum as well, to throw that out. Um, he's artistic director at Climb Theater. And the way they do it is they want to um, specifically teach skills like empathy and anti-bullying and go in on these difficult conversations. So how do you, one, teach and instruct, and two, have a play that doesn't feel like you're teaching and instructing things?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And I think the danger is we end up being in what I, what I always hate are, you know, plays that make a statement rather than Mm -hmm. asking a question. Um, I I always have trouble with, with plays like that. And I feel like if you get too much of, Hey, here's the real answer that, that just, why, why'd you write the play if you already know the answer?
0: I'm so curious, um, just based on what you're saying, what do you think of Disney movies and Disney shows? Or like, or (laughs) Disney on ice.
2: Okay. Okay. So, um, one of the most derisive comments I got in, um, graduate school Mm -hmm. is, um, somebody said my play was, um, it's too Disney. (gasps) Really? Yes. And they said it, they said it in a derogatory way. What
1: a mean thing to say.
2: And (laughs) well, here's the thing. Um, when I wrote Persephone you know, the the play, one of the parents said to me, they're like, it was just like a Pixar movie. They're like, it was great because there was stuff for the kids. There was stuff for the adults. Like it had a lot of heart and soul. And so for me personally, um, I mean, I have a podcast where we talk about animation. Mm. And ever since I was little, um, I've I've enjoyed animation. I mean, one of my earliest memories is, like wearing thin uh, a borrowed copy of the Popeye film starring Robin <laughs> Williams. Like I, I, I watched it like six times in one night because we had to return it the next day. And, and I, I was up till one in the morning, just rewinding and watching this movie over and over. Um, for me, I think Disney movies are some of the best art out right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I I love Disney. I love Pixar. I don't enjoy Cars two. Um, <laughs> I have not seen Cars three because I I refuse. Um, but for me, Disney has gone through. There are like seven distinct eras of Disney and what they've done in terms of things. And I think when they, I think they're really on a, a new era where they're starting to ask better questions
0: mm-hmm.
2: like for me my favorite disney movie currently is um zootopia i don't know if you've seen that
1: i've never seen that it's, that's a good one yeah
2: uh, it's it's just really solid and the questions that it's asking um, and the things that it's saying it doesn't leave leave you with here's the here's the total answer it just feels like a really complicated world and even Frozen, which you know has its own dramaturgical issues, um, <laughs> is like leaps and bounds away from what Disney was doing in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the, the more that they concentrate on story, and interestingly enough, one of the things that, just to get in on um, some Disney train a little bit, one of the things that they did is they instituted a story trust, which is essentially like adding dramaturgs to it. Hmm. So before it would just be, let's say we're, Hey, we're making Tarzan and I'm the director and here are the story artists and we're coming together and we're writing this and we're the only voices that matter. We make the decisions. Um, what happens in the story trust is, anyone who's on the writing teams or other artists who are part of any movie that's currently in development gets to see and hear your pitches and work through and ask you questions like getting workshopped and getting work from dramaturgs like, Hey, how is this working? How is this going? And you can see the change in story
0: Mm -hmm.
2: and it's starting to make such a difference.
0: That's really cool. I didn't know that.
2: Yeah, it's um, right around, like if you watch, what well, what is it? Bolt, I think, which is really underrated Disney film. You can start to see, wait, this, these characters are really interesting. Like there's some stuff going on in these characters. And then they just started getting better and better um, with character and story. It's just, so, it's really strong right now. Um, now, not everything Disney makes or touches is awesome. I have not taken Jack to go see, you know, frozen on ice. Um, (laughs) But I think like Disney, Disney understands that the audience is part of the equation. Mm -hmm. And I've always, I've always respected that. When I go see, when I go to Disneyland, um, they're constantly thinking about the person, the audience's experience in that world, you know, and, and their movies are also thinking about audience, you know, is, is, are people understanding what's going on? And so for me, I, I think they're terrific. Um, and like I said, when I, I think when I got that note, I said, well, which one, which era are we talking about? Like,
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, which Disney?
2: What Disney? Because there's the Disney that makes, you know, really bad Disney Channel movies. And then there's the Disney that makes Zootopia and things like that. Are you talking about tone? And, and so for me, I think writing an off wholesale for me, getting that note was a little bit um, lazy. Like people use it to mean a certain thing, like it's juvenile or, The princess movies, you know, they might mean something for it. I'm like, well, could you be a little bit more specific about what you think feels too Disney? Do you think it's declarative? Do you, you know, what what is your sense that you're saying this is Disney? If that makes any sense.
1: I think people use it to mean the ending is too happy. Yeah, that's how I've I've heard it Hmm. the most. like, have you guys
2: gotten notes like that or things like that oh,
1: probably, <laughs> probably. <laughs>
0: yes um i'm trying to think of like notes i i, I wish there was a course on just notes <laughs> to Give feedback yeah. or like how do you with the approach and uh, like i mean i don't know i getting notes about my play and then Using that notes or what or what to take what not to take is like mm. it was constant battle for me. Um, uh, before we move on to Glisten's because we're kind of towards the end. Chris, first of all, you're freaking amazing. Can I just say oh, that you're you. just amazing? <laughs> um, I just like love what everything you're saying. During that time when you had that ultimatum, or even now, um, if you're submitting your work, how do you handle rejections? Because rejections, uh, it's a hot topic for us always.
2: Yeah, um, I I love listening to your your episode on rejections. I was like, oh, how what do they feel? Um, <laughs> <laughs> do they go through some of the same things? Um, I think for me, the, the the rejections that hurt the most are the ones that are silent. You know, oh, mm-hmm. the you never hear from them again.
1: Yeah, gosh, that is so true.
2: And and I'm like, you know, in my day job, I know what it takes to send a, an email, it takes, um, no money and it takes no time. And I can send it to a thousand people at a time. So you send that email, send it, you know, Mm -hmm. just, just send an email. We're not interested. Thank you so much. Um, one of the things that I do, I I document everything. Um, I, I have a database, um, in FileMaker pro to, Calcul- you know, who shows me all my submissions and all my plays and places that I've sent them to, mm. mostly because I don't want to send it to the same place on accident, mm-hmm. um, which I did even with my, thankfully it was a different play, but I was like, hey, I want to introduce my work to you. Here's a play. <laughs> mm. And I'm like, oh, good. I sent them a, a different one. Um, I try. I try not to take it personally
0: mm-hmm.
2: because. I mean there there are a couple different things that that go through my mind is it's impossible based on the number of writers out there for everybody to get everything. Yeah. And it's just when you think about things um hey we had 700 people and we had to choose four. There's there are 690 six if my math is right other people who got a rejection too um Mm. and i think if the more that i can consider that it's not a personal thing Mm -hmm. um that it's more of a numbers thing then i'll be okay Mm -hmm. i think the times that i have the hardest time is the fact that maybe i start doubting the play itself and start wondering well is the play not not any good? Did I not send something good? Am I a terrible writer? Um, and I think that's mostly if I send an earlier draft to the things that are more um, that are not developmental, if that makes sense.
1: Oh, mm-hmm.
2: So so I try to look at why I sent it to a certain place. And if I understand that I sent it to a place for development, it's easier for me to say, Okay, well, I just didn't get in this time because of the numbers if I sent it after it's on its 17th draft and, you know, it's ready to go and I send it and they're like, no, thanks. Then it hurts a little bit more. I think, um, Mm -hmm. I try to not, I used to save my rejection letters. I try not to anymore. Um, but I think as long as I'm working on something new, it's easier for the rejections to come through. Um, it's been a lot easier um to to get rejections once I started get consistently working somewhere, you know, with a theater in town,
1: yeah, that makes a lot of sense.
2: It's like, oh, well, that's fine because I have a production opening, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm okay, mm-hmm. but for those people that are trying to get their first production, I think that's why I wanted to quit, yeah, um which was. I'm just not getting anything. I'm just not worthwhile. Well, because um,
1: there's no way to tell when you're just starting out. There's no distinction that's clear to you between a rejection because they only had four slots and there were 700 submissions and maybe hundreds of excellent plays versus the rejection because your play is really bad. <laughs> you know, It's like there's no indication in the rejection that you get which one it is. And so right. it's so easy to just assume that. It's the I mean, that one.
2: that would be nice, right? If they sent us a checkbox email that was like, <laughs> "It's you suck." No, we just didn't have a slot for you. Like, just let me know. Do you?
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, right.
2: But yeah, I think I think the the thing that you have to answer, and I think this was, I didn't recognize this until my third year in grad school, which was it's always nice to get the answer right at the end. It's like, wait, no, I figured it out. Um, If you have a good idea of what you're attempting to do with your script in terms of how I want the audience to feel, Mm -hmm. I think you can better judge the feedback, whether it's in person or whether it's from these rejections to okay well they're reacting the way that I their questions are because they're reacting the way that I wanted them to react. Um, and I think it's it's in these rejection emails and rejection letters I look for just look for numbers if they say we had this many people if they don't say that then just assume that um, that particular play for those particular readers didn't work out because mm-hmm. right. maybe they already had that specific kind of play, right? And they just didn't want to repeat it. Oh, we already have this this play about this you know strong Latina character who works in a liberal arts college. We already had that play, Chris. So we're good, you know.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we can only take one at a time. One at a time. Exactly. Come on. Oh my
2: God. We already have five plays about strong Latinas. I would love to
1: see a a whole season of plays like that. Wouldn't that be interesting?
2: That would be interesting. I think
1: someone should do it. It
2: it would be really awesome to have a play season that's all just this is what this is my dream as, as a theater goer because. Um, one of my favorite musicals is is Waitress. I don't know if you guys have seen oh, Waitress yet. I haven't
0: yet. seen it, but I yeah. heard, heard the music. I love the music because I love Sarah Bareilles, and I've seen the movie. Like uh, I do love Waitress. I just haven't seen the musical. Yeah.
2: Oh, I, when I, I went to see it, and I can't listen to She Used to Be Mine without crying. Like it's bad. I'm, I'll be washing dishes or driving, and just start weeping. <laughs> but um, it, I I would love to see a theater season with all women playwrights and all women production teams.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. As
2: like when a theater starts doing that, I think then we'll be getting somewhere.
1: Yeah, that would be cool. I'm sure it's happening somewhere. Right? It, Some little theater is probably doing that right now. It has
2: to be. I, I would feel it would be sad if it's not. I mean, I would love to see at least, I, I, I want theaters to have a at least 50% rule, right? Like mm-hmm. 50% women. Fifty percent people of color, like just do something that's not the usual. Right. I mean, that gets a little away from rejections, but uh, I, I. Anyway.
1: <laughs> well, shall we move into Glisten's? Did yeah. Chris? Did did were Glisten's part of workshop when you were at Iowa? They
2: weren't, but they sound such like a dare club thing. <laughs> Yeah. I, I did steal one thing from Dare Club, which is, I, I ask people, I don't know if he still said this with you guys, but he would say, could you say one or two more sentences about that?
1: Oh, <laughs> I God, say that to my yeah, students all you, the time.
0: He does that all the time.
2: I say that on my podcast to my co-host. I'm like, could you say one or two <laughs> more sentences about that?
0: So funny. So good hilarious oh another thing did he did he drink honest tea
2: no he didn't
0: oh
1: he didn't a new thing a new development In
2: (laughs) i I remember uh, water bottles so maybe he had tea in the water bottles but
1: (laughs) he now well actually i say now but really it was like when we were in school which was several years ago but he would bring to every class a bottle of black honest tea
2: oh yeah that's a new development that's that's totally. And then weird.
1: you'd go into his office, and there would just be like all like six bottles lined up on the shelf, like <laughs> ready to go.
2: <laughs> that, that sounds like dare. That that does. I'm not surprised.
1: <laughs> well, so um, do, would you like to go first, Chris? So Glisten is something that caught your attention this week. Um, could be really anything: a story, music.
2: One of the things that caught my um, my attention this week um, was I listened to uh, this podcast, 99% Invisible. I don't know if you guys listen to that at all or no, heard yeah. of it. It's a, it's a podcast about design and some things that we take for granted. And um, cool, they talk a lot about um, squirrels. In this, <laughs> in this episode, and it's called Uptown Squirrel, um, and it talks about they're, they're doing a squirrel census in Central Park in New York, the first squirrel oh census ever. And they talk through, you know, how squirrels ended up in, in New York City. They weren't there. Um, they were introduced specifically there. People, rich people used to have them as pets what um, they were seen as like this really um, sophisticated pet. And there was a point where they took two squirrels and tried to add them to central park in a gated area. And people would just come and be amazed by these squirrels. Um, what? Wow. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my gosh, there's something interesting here. And now they talk about how squirrels are responsible for tons of power outages because (laughs) they go to power. um, They knocked out the NASDAQ for like a week or or like a couple of hours once. And they knocked out, you know, they have a, somebody who tracks it on a website, squirrel related power outages. (laughs) And I was just in my brain. I don't know what it was. I just saw people with squirrel tails in a show for kids. And I'm like, (laughs) like, there's something about this, about people or these animals who are brought not by choice to be something for rich people to gawk at Mm -hmm. and taken from where they lived and put in this new experience. And now suddenly, you know, how they transformed. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like class and race and all this stuff that and it could be a play for kids about squirrels. And I'm like, you, you, the nice thing is it's like it's like putting pills in applesauce. <laughs>
1: oh jeez. Squirrels are the applesauce. Squirrels
2: are the applesauce and you know, mm. race and class right. are, are the pills that that we get to and it's not about indoctrinating That's kids.
1: Fascinating. No, right? But I'm like, oh,
2: squirrels. So
1: <laughs> did you know squirrels are matriarchal?
2: I did not.
1: Yeah, they have these um, complex matriarchal family units.
2: Oh my gosh, it gets better.
1: Add that to your plan. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm going Okay, yep, that's that's the next one somewhere.
1: <laughs> cool. I love that. What about you, Sarah? What's your glisten?
0: My glisten for this week. Um, I guess today's Mother's Day. Oh yeah, um, it is. Uh, I guess we're doing this podcast. We don't have mothers. I don't know. No, just kidding. Um, yeah, my, so,
2: my mom died. So, oh,
1: <laughs>
2: I lo- I love doing sorry. that to people. It's like oh wait, but I celebrate um, her in my own way. So it doesn't have to be with a okay, brunch.
0: There you go. Right. Um. So I, me, my siblings were in a group text with my mom, and so birthdays holidays it's always through the text like happy thanksgiving happy Christmas, merry christmas and i started the text with a to my mom like hey like um happy mother's day and and everyone's just like yay happy mother's day we love each other blah blah blah." and my mom always ends the text with this this um sticker with just says i love america She always we like we're so confused. We're like this has nothing to do with what we're saying. We're like we're telling our mom we love you or like you know wishing her a great day all that. And she always she doesn't. She's like I love you all too. And she always ends the group text, and like, I love America, and and then we just like we always kind of like so confused why she always sends that. And we're like mom, you really love America. <laughs>
1: like- Have you ever asked her?
0: No, well. I think my brother might have said something like, why do you always use that? And she never responds. She never answers the question, <laughs> but she always uses the same thing. That's and so, so, funny. so I was like, I just started, I just noticed that today, like um, after a text, and I was like, yeah, she does keep using that sticker. It's <laughs> so funny. Yeah. I love America. That's it.
2: Is it one of those? That's
0: your glisten? Yeah. I guess that's my glisten because I, love- I was just thinking about it. Yeah.
2: Is it one of those Bitmoji stickers, or is with with her?
0: I, no, 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 it's, it's just it's, a sticker. it's really plain. Like looks like I love America in like the 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 country's flag. You know the color scheme, like you know stars and. Red, white, you know, stripes. Wow. And it's just like, I love America. It's very patriotic. And I'm like, this is probably more appropriate for Fourth of July or something, but <laughs> not for Mother's Day or Thanksgiving or Christmas.
1: Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so yeah, funny. My mother's so weird. Um, <laughs> Maybe we should end the podcast that way too. Like, <laughs> I, I love America. Yeah.
0: I'll, I'll I'll show the picture I'll like do a screenshot of it <laughs> I'm just
1: like this is what my mom and I'll post it somewhere in social and be like yeah this is what-. perfect that's perfect yeah what's yours Sam mine is um I'm obsessed I, I have a new obsession with a podcast out of that's produced by American Theater Magazine called Three on the Isle. Mm. you guys listen to that
2: I've I've heard a few episodes of that yeah
1: I'm really enjoying it. It's it's these New York theater critics talking about shows. So it makes me in a small way feel like I'm kind of, if not seeing these plays, I'm like in the same universe as these plays. <laughs> um, and... What I love about it is they never agree on anything. And so one person will be like, oh, I just saw this play. It's so brilliant. It's, you know, I think it's doing these really smart things. And then another one will be like, are you kidding me? That was terrible. I hated it. (laughs) You know, And they have so much respect for each other, but but they really love to disagree with each other and tell each other exactly why they think they're so wrong. Um, So that's my lesson. I'm really enjoying it. Great glitzins. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much,
0: Chris, for joining us and sharing your thoughts on playwriting and writing for young audiences. I mean, my mind feels like, I was like, Oh, maybe one of my sketches could be a, a, you know, writing for a young audience. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: I think, I think a lot of, if you could take a concept from a 10 minute play and try to turn Mm -hmm. it into something for kids, I think that would be a, a really cool brain exercise to see, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or even, you know, folk tales or, or other stuff. I mean, that's what Disney did way back is, you know, Hey, here are these stories that someone else did. Let's change it and, and do something with it. But I think, yeah, just, just try it out. It's, it's a lot of fun. And there are a lot of theaters, especially schools too, who are looking for stuff. um mm-hmm. So I think we just forget about that. We always see are these the professional theaters or the the other theaters mm-hmm. around town. We forget that wait, there's this whole other audience, and um, they're looking for playwrights who want to be um, not talked down to kids and and have smart plays and entertaining plays for for these families and audiences. So if if you want to imagine yourself as a kid and what show you would have loved and what yeah make a list of. This is what I would have loved as a kid. Yeah, go for it. Take take your sketches. Those those would be those are a great jumping off point.
1: That's such good advice. Did you hear that, listeners? <laughs> go forth and write T Y A.
2: Absolutely. Go for it.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you guys. Thanks, Chris. Bye.